0: From Parkway Church in Karana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So this Christmas, we've been talking about over this past few weeks about the things that hold us back or letting go of the things that hold us back or weigh us down and stop us and prevent us from, from moving forward in our faith journey, going deeper and, and, and growing in the knowledge and things of God. And I was, as I was reflecting upon it this week, I realized this is one of our biggest challenges, right? It's just letting go of things so that we can move forward in our faith, that's, that's typically what I feel like most North Americans, I would say North Americans, I'm not going to speak for other cultures, but most North Americans are facing is letting go of the stuff that actually prohibits us from moving forward in our faith. And so we've been talking about a few different things. We talked about letting go of, of stuff. You know, some of us, that's a real problem for us. And, and I challenged us by saying that it's, it's better to have less of what does, or it's, it's better to have, sorry, I'm messing this up. It's better to have less of what does matter than more of what doesn't. Right? It's, it's not about collecting more stuff because we need more stuff because sometimes less is more. And then we talked about letting go of distractions, diminishing distractions, eliminating distractions in order to move forward in our faith. Um, because every force in hell wants to distract us from what matters most and ultimately that is Christ. Ultimately that is a relationship with Jesus. We talked about letting go of bitterness. And some of us are still bitter that we talked about that. We said that we can take an offense, and if we're not careful, that bitterness or that offense can grow into roots of bitterness. And if you recall, I said you can't control what people do, but you can control how you respond. Right? Isn't that true? We can't control what people do, but we can control how we respond. And then last week, Pastor Mitch, our our youth pastor, shared about letting go of control. And how many believe that he did an awesome job? I think he did a great job. So blessed with Pastor Mitch. And he said, and this just struck me, he said, you don't always have the power to control, but you, can, or you always have the power to surrender. Right? Isn't that true? We don't always have the power to control our environment and situation. People, I, I wish we could control people a little bit more, but we don't. But we have the power to surrender. Now, as I was preparing um, this week um, to kind of finish this series by talking about letting go of our past, I had one of those weeks where the Spirit of God just kind of hits you. Right, I had I had it all prepared, I had the notes ready, you know, and, and in the back, I give them kind of notes so they can, they can follow along on the screens a little bit as well, had all that kind of prepared, and I think it was Wednesday night, through the night, I'm just like relaying all these different Christmas stories, like biblical Christmas stories and the characters, and I'm go, running through Mary, and I'm running through Joseph, and I'm running through Zach Ryan, I'm going through all these things, and it, it, throughout my sleep, it was like kind of one of those, you know when you're dreaming, but you're not dreaming, you're like, am I awake, or am I in a dream state, I don't know? But I had one of those Holy Spirit moments where I kind of woke up and there was this decision that was made. This is the direction I need to go. And so Thursday I came in and it was just like, okay, that is all pushed aside. We'll, we'll maybe deal with that next week. And we're going to go in a completely different direction. The Holy Spirit does that sometimes. right? You look throughout the scripture. God is a God who plans. Salvation is a plan. Right from the beginning time, salvation was planned out. But often the Holy Spirit comes and he does something different. He just says, this is the time to talk about this. And, we, and Pastor Mitch talked about that last week. He's like, we need to have a plan, but sometimes we need to yield that to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so I really believe that as I share this morning, that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to somebody. Or to, to many of us through these this simple truths. So we're just going to look at some characters this morning and see what we can learn from, from them and, and their story. Matthew chapter chapter. Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 says this and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet so all these things that we're going to look at all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us So, holy God, we just thank you for your word, and I thank you, God, that we can come together and we can hear your word, and we can discuss it and share it. God, I can share, and then you can speak, Lord, and you can change our lives. And I pray that we, this morning, wouldn't just be hearers, God, but we would be doers. God, challenge us and change us, God, and lead us as you led me this week. To share something differently than what I thought we were originally planning. I pray, God, that you would just lead us this morning. Lead us in the way that you would have us move forward. God, this Christmas, in Jesus' name, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever seen those those Christmas stories or sort of those Christmas movies? Usually it's a Hallmark Christmas movie. How many of you like Hallmark Christmas movies? You're like, man, I'm just a sucker for those, you know, C-level movies with bad acting and and no-name people and terrible plot lines. They're all the same. They're the, all the exact same. Usually it's those movies that, or sometimes, you catch one that, that it's, it's looking at different people's lives, right? It's looking at this person's life, and it's looking at this person's life, and it's looking at this person's life. And they're all different, but then in the end they all kind of come together and they, they celebrate Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Well, when I, when I think about the biblical Christmas story, I, I think of something like that. I think about there's this one main event that's happening, and it's, the, it's, it's God incarnate coming, coming to be born, right? But there's, but there's stories around it. There's stories around um, the big story of, of the cosmic God who holds the whole universe in his hand. There's, there's a story of a, of a woman named Mary, and there's a story of a man named Zachariah, and there's a story of a, of a woman named Elizabeth, and so many shepherds and, and wise men. And as much as, as, as each of them have their different story, it's all interwoven into one big main story one big main story, the biblical Christmas story. And I say, I say biblical Christmas story on purpose because I, I'm, I'm mindful that there may be people here that you don't realize that the Christmas story has nothing to do with Santa Claus. And Yuletide carols being sung by a choir and folks dress up like Eskimos or whatever that song is. It has nothing to do with that. Like when, when the world says Christmas story, it sometimes thinks of things that have nothing to do with the Christmas story. The biblical Christmas story is the Christmas story. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story because it's kind of like one of those movies centered around around a key event, but, but multiple different stories within. And I was thinking, you and me, we have different stories to tell. Every single one of us in this room has a different story to tell. And we have different stories that surround Christmas time. We have different maybe memories and maybe different feelings, different traditions. One of my one of my favorite Christmas traditions growing up as a kid was receiving my stocking. Because I was that kind of kid, and my, my my sister was that kind of kid that we were so excited about Christmas that we had a hard time sleeping, right? We would wake up in the middle of the night like middle of the night, like it's, we haven't, it hasn't passed midnight yet and we're awake and we're super excited and so I think somewhere along the lines, I don't remember, but my parents are like, let's figure out how we can make sure they stay in the rooms and stay in bed and so our stockings weren't hung on like a fireplace or, you know, we didn't open them together as a family. They actually, after they put all the Christmas gifts out under the tree and and Santa Claus did too and, and they just helped, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then they would come up to our room and then they would drop off the, their, our, uh, our stockings at the end of our bed. And so when we woke up, you know, whenever we woke up, we, we'd shuffle to the end of our bed and we'd grab our stocking and we'd stay in our room and it contained us because we weren't allowed to go downstairs until, until everyone was awake. And this way the parents got a little bit extra sleep while the kids were awake. And so we'd ruffle through our stocking. And, and what was actually really cool is me and my sister, one of us would, would be awake a little bit earlier and so we'd sneak in the other one's room and be like, hey, wake up, stocking time. And it, it really became this magical Christmas memory that I hold and I cherish. It was really my parents just trying to get some sleep. But it's one of my favorite Christmas memories. And we all have different Christmas memories. And we all have different stories to tell within the larger story. And so do the characters of the Christmas story. So as we lead up to Christmas in a few days, um, I want to look at a few characters who were leading up to the main event in the Christmas story. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth, and Zachariah this morning. And I'm just going to share some stuff that spoke to me. And I'm, I'm believing that somebody here is going to hear from God this morning, or this is for somebody, because I was not originally planning to talk about this. Um, so Mary's the first character in our story. Does anybody love the song, Mary? Did you know? How I many are like, that's my Christmas jam, right? I'm, I'm not with you, but <laughs> the Gaithers, I don't know about that. Uh, Mary is a central character in the Christmas story. Mary is the mother of Jesus. She's the incubator for the Messiah, right? She literally bore the weight of a lot of what surrounded the Christmas story. Jody likes to remind me often that I had little to do with the birthing process of of our children, and let's be honest, that's completely true. Um, I had, I had and can, I, can I speak to guys? Stop fighting this, stop making jokes about this, because I've seen this happen three times now, and I want nothing to do with it other than the role I played, right? Like, <laughs> bless them, they have strength that I don't have. Um, I'll be honest, and I'm, gonna, I'm humiliating myself right now, I almost passed out one time, you know, because they just, women are incredible. And Mary, Mary was the, the, the mother of Jesus, she was a, a poor, young, Jewish girl. Poor young Jewish girl betrothed to a man named Joseph, pledged to get married. And then she has this encounter with an angelic being. She has this encounter with an angelic being, and we're going to look at it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Just let me pause there. Me my boys were reading um, this story the other day in one of the children's Bibles. Um, and the children's Bible, just so you know, they're, they, they share it a little bit differently. But this one specifically has, like, questions that you can ask children at the end, which I thought was really cool. And one of the questions was, What would your face be like if you were visited by an angel? And Eli had this very, like, charming, like, Sly look on his face, like he was about to flirt with a girl, kind of look, and I'm like, "That's how you would look when." And then, and then Joshua had this very blank stare. It was just like a. I'm like, if an angel visited me, I would not be doing either one of those. But, so Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God." You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God." Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to, to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You just, somebody needs to write that down. For no word from God will ever fail. If you ever find yourself doubting what God has said, just write this down, remember, and hold on to it. For no word from God will ever fail. Can I just say this? If it fails, it probably wasn't of God. Because no word of God fails. Lastly, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now imagine you're Mary. Imagine you're Mary. You're, uh, you're young. Most early Christian writings and scholars say that Mary was anywhere between the age of 12 and 15. And around that age is where most Jewish young girls were betrothed. Patrol just happened around that age. She was a a virgin, and and most early Christian writings, again, sources outside of scriptures would confirm that. There was no sexual contact between her and Joseph. There's no sexual contact between Mary and anybody. So you're Mary, this young girl, and you receive this kind of message from God. You're pledged to be married. You're living a normal Jewish life. You're poor, and this happens. Now, in that day, being a young, poor female meant there was nothing about your life that would make you worthy or highly favored. Because you're young, you're poor, and you're a woman, you are not worthy of much. But what does this story tell me? Because if you caught it, the angel says to her, you who are highly favored. This story tells me something important, and you see this woven throughout the stories of the scripture. That God does not look at your life to determine your worth, right? God does not look at the sum of your existence, of your experiences, of your background, of your your capabilities and your talents. God does not look at your resume to determine your usability. Mary was not chosen because she was capable, able, and resourced. It's not like God's like, man, who can I choose to to carry me, (laughs) For nine months and then raise me. Who's going to be capable? Uh, let me look around this room. Uh, you were definitely not good enough. You might be good. Oh, yeah, that one. She's, that's not what he did. But by all earthly standards, she was not worthy. She was chosen, though, in accordance with God's plan, his will, and his grace. Nothing to do with Mary. Everything to do with God. Can I just ask you to look at your life? You may look at the sum of your life and think, how can God use me? Maybe you look at yourself and you see someone that's broken. Failure. Screw up. Nobody. Rejected. Think about what would Mary be thinking? I'm young. What? Poor? I'm a woman. See, God can take the useless, worthless things by earthly standards and through his power accomplish incredible feats. God does not look at your life to determine your worth. So what does this mean for Mary now, right? Her world is drastically gonna change. Her world is drastically gonna change. People are gonna gossip about you. People are gonna speculate. People are gonna have opinions. She's gonna be disgraced, ridiculed, because out of nowhere, you're a young Jewish girl you're not married and you're pregnant. This is not 2019, right? For her and Joseph, it meant shame. And she goes to her betrothed, she goes to Joseph, and he doesn't believe her. He actually has in his mind, because of his character and his, his, his belief in the law of the Old Testament, that he's going to divorce her quietly until an angel comes to him. He's got a plan. Oh, this uh, like imagine, you're, imagine Joseph and, and a, Mary comes to you. She tells Joseph he doesn't believe her. Now, we speak highly of Mary now, right? Churches adore Mary. Songs are, songs are sung about Mary. Mary, did you know it's your baby boy? One day, one day. You didn't know I could go there. I did. <laughs> Mary is considered a saint in some traditions, but not then. And then, after getting over the initial shock and going through all the speculation and trial for the entire nine months, likely 10 months. You have to travel while you're in labor. And this isn't like a 20-minute hike from, or drive from Corona to Sarnia, right? This is a 90-mile hike. Like a 90-mile hike that's 144 kilometers. I've driven a woman in labor, and it was not fun for either of us, okay? This is a 90-mile hike, and you don't get to go to a nice, sterile environment where there's people that are tending you and helping you and caring for you and, and figuring it out for you because you have no idea what's going on. Like, you're in a stable. You're in a stable. So she struggles so much. And this isn't just any baby, right? This is supposed to be God. This is supposed to be the Savior of the world. Imagine the pressure. Not only am I pregnant. Like, ladies, you get this way more than me. Not only am I pregnant, my body has completely changed. My organs have shifted and moved. I have no space. It's not just any baby. This is God. This has to go right, Right? She's, not only that, and not only all the ridicule and shame that she's likely faced, but she's, she's gone through so much, but it brings about the Savior of the world. All that she goes through and all that she experiences, all of the shame and all of the opinions and all of the gossip and all of the ridicule and all of the issues and all of the logistics. How are we going to get to Bethlehem? Because now we got to go to the census. Joseph, you're crazy. Why do you want me to travel there? I'm nine months. I'm ready. You want me to go where? Like All of that was to bring about the Savior of the entire world. And not just for then, but for now, for us today. You know what that tells me? Living for Jesus is not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Living for Jesus will not be easy, but it will always be worth it. Going against the grain, going against the tide, following God's plans as opposed to your own plans. Choosing God's words over the words of others, that will be difficult, but it will be so worth it having people look at you weird, because you say you believe in a God, because you say you believe in a man who became, who, a God who became a baby, who grew up as a man, who died on a cross for your sins and then rose again, people might be like, huh? But it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And the story of Mary can attest to that. And all because she said this, not knowing what would come, she didn't have the rest of the story, right? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled." Man, what could we accomplish if we heard God ask us to do something and we just say, "I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled." Like what could be accomplished? Mary had no idea. She had a little bit, right? This is what's kind of going to happen. But look at all that's been accomplished. A second character in the Christmas story is Joseph. Joseph is a devout Jewish man, likely older, right? Not teenager likely an older man, faithful to the law, a man of character. We see that in how he reacts to, to her news. But Joseph kind of takes a back burner role in the birthing part of the story, right? He doesn't contribute nearly as much as Mary. Let's be honest, we know that. But his role is significant, and there is truth hidden within that I think is a game changer for a lot of us. There's, there's, there's truth. And what Joseph's role plays that I think will could drastically change how you engage in your ministry role in God's kingdom. Let's read it, Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Let me just pause here. If you're new to the scriptures and you're new to the Bible, there are four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The easiest way to understand this is these are four perspectives of what happened in Jesus' life. So we looked at one and we heard from one in Luke. Right now we're looking at Matthew. Here's another perspective. Now, this is the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, and we know that means that the, you know, sexual intercourse, let's just real; that's what it's talking about. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, right? So there we see a man who is faithful, he's devout, you know, he's a man of character. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now imagine you're Joseph, and your betrothed, Mary comes to you and tells you that she's pregnant, and it's God's son. What's going through your head?? My wife is crazy, or my, my betrothed is crazy. What? <laughs> this is not mine. I know that for certain. Not only that, I bet you he starts thinking about what are people going to think? What are people going to say? The ridicule, the shame, the guilt, the gossip. So you, as a, a man faithful to law and a man of character, you choose that I'm going to end this quietly. You care enough about Mary, right? You don't want to disgrace her that you're going to end it quietly. You're going to make sure that things go, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to do the right, Joseph, I'm going to do the right thing, right? She's obviously been unfaithful, but I'm going to show her respect. I'm going to end it quietly. But then you have an encounter with an angel in a dream. Now, most dreams are just just dreams, you know, sometimes it's just bad pizza, right? You ate, you ate, you ate the wrong tago. But God still speaks to us in dreams. We saw God speak this morning. Some of you maybe had God speak to you, and, and we don't, we're not aware of it. God still speaks in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Peter is quoting the prophet Joel. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all the believers. It says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams that God still speaks. He, He will speak to you, and he will speak through you prophetically if you engage in the Holy Spirit. So Joseph has this dream, and it was real enough, specific enough, clear enough that afterwards, like Mary, he did as the angel told him. You know, Mary gets all the credit for saying, I'm the Lord's servant. But Joseph did the same. He just didn't do it, say it with words. You know, that's like typical man-woman, right? Because I think they say that women have more words to say, like, on average throughout the day. Like, this is, it's, we even see this in the Christmas story. It's true. Right? Science doesn't need to tell us that. Joseph and Mary tell us that, right? Because he does the same thing, but he just doesn't do it with words. It says this, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife. So he takes Mary home as his wife. Right? Even though people are still gonna talk, people are still gonna have opinions, people are still gonna gossip, people are still gonna point fingers, people are gonna kind of figure out in their own minds what they think happened. Even though that's gonna happen, he still takes her home and his wife. He names him Jesus as the angel told him to. He works, we know, to provide for Jesus because later on in life, they point to Jesus and say, Hey, isn't this the, is Joseph's son, the carpenter's boy? He was worried and frantic when Jesus went missing, when Jesus was 12 years old, just like Mary was. But here's the thing. Joseph took on a background role to the whole Christmas story. Because you don't read much about Joseph. You don't see much about Joseph. But Joseph is key in raising Jesus. And I was thinking, as I, actually I was reading a devotional around this. And it, it tells me that fulfilling God's purpose for our lives should never be about getting credit. Fulfilling God's purpose for your life should never be about getting credit, but always about being obedient. Always about being obedient. If the world never sees what we do for God's kingdom, but God sees it, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. But think about this. How many of us have given up on what God has called us to do simply because nobody notices? Nobody even noticing anyway. Why am I doing this? Nobody even cares. Why should I keep setting this up, cleaning this? Nobody even sees that the garbage can is emptied. Why should I empty it every week? Nobody notices that the floor is vacuumed. Why should I vacuum? Nobody knows that I'm, I'm coming and serving. Why should I continue to serve? Do you long for acknowledgement? And be, if we're honest, as humans, we all want to be appreciated. But some of the most noble biblical characters get very little mention in the scriptures, maybe a line or two. Usually the ones that are talked about a little bit more, like Gideon, for instance. I love Gideon's story, but he had a little bit of a falling out. But there's a few few characters, if you read the book of Judges, that get like one line. Just one line. Faithfulness, defeated, boom, done. Good job. Well done, my faithful servant. God's rewards should trump human acknowledgement every time. Joseph doesn't get any accolades. He probably had a lot of people talking poorly about him, but that didn't stop him from being obedient because it's not about getting credit; It's about being obedient to God. So where is God calling you to obedient where you're not going to get any credit? Where is God asking you to serve where no one's going to notice? The next character we see in the story is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. She's an older cousin. She's married to a priest named Zachariah. She's a priest's wife. She was righteous in the sight of God, blameless, it tells us, but she was barren. She couldn't have any kids. So an angel appears, not to Elizabeth, but appears to her husband, Zachariah. He was serving in the temple at the time and said that they would have a child too, and they were to name him John, and John would be special. Because John would prepare people to meet Jesus. God, John would prepare the way, He'd fill in the gap for people to be ready to meet Jesus. This kid would grow up to be John the Baptist. Right? You know, eating bugs and locusts in the wilderness with honey and, you know, the, the crazy John, but prepared the way for, for people, John. And after this encounter, Elizabeth, who's older in age and was barren, becomes pregnant. Becomes pregnant. Now imagine how excited you would feel. You're Elizabeth. For your, most of your life, you've not been able to have children. And, and in, in that society, that likely meant that you were a disgrace. And now you're having a baby. How excited would you feel? How excited would you feel, right? You'd be overjoyed. You'd be overjoyed by this. And not only are you going to have a baby, but this is an important baby. Not only are you just going to have a baby, But you're going to have some baby that's going to prepare the way for people to meet the Messiah. This was a big deal for a Jewish woman. This was a big deal for someone married to a Jewish priest. right? She's so overjoyed that she said, the Lord has shown me favor, and he's taken away my disgrace. Six months later, you get a knock at your door. Mary shows up, and she tells you her story. Oh, you think your baby's special? (laughs) Messiah. He's in here. Like I'm 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 a, that's probably not how it went. <laughs> Mary was Mary was probably a little bit more like distressed than cocky. <laughs> right? Do you ever have someone though? Do you ever so you ever tell someone a story and they just lay the trump down, card down by telling you their story? Oh yeah, you did that. Well, I caught a bigger fish. You know, and they don't even mean to trump your story, but they just—they happen to. They don't even wait for you to finish telling your story. They just wait for you to pause, to breathe, and then there's talking. You, know? you ever have that happen? You just kind of well, Part of you just gets like all jealous or envious or frustrated or upset. I wonder if, if Elizabeth ever felt tempted to, to be jealous. Maybe she wasn't jealous. She wasn't jealous. But was she tempted? Was there a moment that she could have given into envy? You know, Christmas has that opportunity for us. It has opportunity for us to feel jealous and envy of what's happening in in the people's lives around us. Because you're going to meet with family. You're going to meet with friends. You're probably going to watch people meet with family and friends. Somebody's going to post something. And there's opportunity for you to be jealous. There's opportunity for you to be envious. But we don't read that in Mary or an Elizabeth. We actually see that Elizabeth immediately immediately recognizes Mary's role in the story of salvation because when Mary knocks on her door, John the baby leaps inside her and God fills her with the Holy Spirit. She immediately recognizes Mary's role in salvation because God fills her with the Holy Spirit. Let's read it. It says this in Luke chapter 1 verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice, not a calm voice, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. This is how I imagine this going. Knock, knock, knock. It's Mary. Boom. You're the woman who's going to carry the Messiah. It's not like, hey, can I tell you what's going on in my life? I had this, you know, let's sit down, and then she has this reaction. The Holy Spirit enables her and fills her to understand Mary's role in the salvation story. Can I just, can I just tell you, you want to be used by God? You got to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Right? You, want, you want to be a witness to the kingdom of God? You want to be enabled by God? You got to be filled with the spirit? That is Jesus' words, right? This is not just Pentecostal words. This is not a Pentecostal message. This is biblical message. The Messiah said this. I didn't say this. This is not Pastor Call saying this because I, um, I'm a POC guy, right? This is, this is Bible And throughout the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit filling at work. Paul, in his his book to the Corinthians, talked about the the enablement and the gifts of the Spirit are by the Holy Spirit. They're given by the Holy Spirit to empower us to work for the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And all she does is encourage Mary and celebrate that God is at work. She encourages Mary and celebrates that God is at work. It's easy to want what others have. It's easy to want what others have. And it's, it's sometimes hard to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life that he's not doing in yours. But the only appropriate response to God at work is celebration. And can I tell you, it would be very difficult for you to celebrate God at work without the Holy Spirit's enablement. Because I believe, as the scriptures reveal, that Elizabeth recognized she was enabled and gifted to see what God was doing in someone else's life and celebrate that because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to celebrate what, someone else's, what God is doing in someone else's life? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. It's my little girl saying, Daddy, yeah, she agrees with me. Amen. That leaves us with one final character to look at leading up to the main event, the Christmas story, and that is Zachariah. Zachariah is Elizabeth's husband. He's a priest in the temple. And along with Elizabeth, the Bible says that he was righteous and blameless in the sight of God. But Zachariah shows us another side to the Christmas story. Like like the others, his faith was challenged. But unlike the others, he shows skepticism. And he trusts more in his reasoning than he does the promise of God. So he encounters an angel while he's ministering in the temple. And the angel tells him that Elizabeth, his wife, who is older and could not have children, would become pregnant. Let's read about it. When Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Come on, what's he been praying for? God, use me. God, use me. Use my family. Let my wife, let, let us have a child. Your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a great joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of God. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. He will bring back many people from Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts Of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine, you're Zachariah, you're praying. This is this what happens when you pray to a good God, who's a big God and capable. You pray for one thing, He gives you more. Not only you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna have a great baby. Not only you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna have a baby that's gonna prepare the way for the Messiah. I'll do you one, and I'll do you one more. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. How can I be sure? Now Mary said something similar, right? Mary said, how can this be? It's similar, but it's different. And we know this based on the angel's response. The angel says to Zechariah, now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. So Mary, when she says, how can this be? It's a more technical response, right? Like, like h- help me figure this out. Well, how is this going to work, right? But, but Zachariah is, is more of a, uh, I need a sign. Where's the proof? See, Mary trusted, Zachariah didn't. And it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue because Zachariah leaned more on his understanding than he did the promise of God. He leaned more on his understanding than the promise of God. And this is a problem that you and I face almost on the daily. As we grow, as we age, as we mature, and, we, and we, we collectively gain a wisdom and understanding about the world and how the world works, we begin to lean and trust more on our reasoning than we do on the words of God. We lean more on, on, on skepticism because it sounds logical to do this than versus things that sound un, illogical. Am I right? Right? We reason away what God what God could be doing because it doesn't make sense to us. But catch this, God's promises are always more credible than human logic. God's promises are always more credible than human logic. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come with and I wanna ask you this question. Came across this question this season. It says, are there any facts about your life that weigh heavier in your mind than what's possible through God? Are there any facts about your life That weighs heavier in your mind than what's possible through God. What promises in the scripture are you doubting because you've reasoned them away? You know, human logic is a tool that's been given to us. God gave us a brain to use, some of us don't use that brain. But God gave us a brain to use. He, he gave us a, a brain to reason, to deduce, to, to think, to use. But when human logic comes face to face with a promise of God, God's word must always trump human logic. Even when you don't understand. Because if you could fully comprehend God, he would not be God. Can I just, can I just say that again? If you could comprehend all the inner workings and the things of God, he would not be God. There's a reason we don't fully understand stuff. Because we are not God. We are finite. Which means we have a beginning and we have an end. We have a limit to our understanding. But by the very definition of what God should and could and is, He has no limit. He has no beginning. He has no end. There's no ceiling where His knowledge gets capped. So it may not make sense to you that's okay, because you're not that smart. You may have a really high IQ, but your smartest thought doesn't even compare to his lowest, the scriptures tell us. So when your human logic goes face to face with the promise of God, do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the promise. When your human logic says, I'm alone this Christmas, and it hurts and it's painful, trust in the promise that says, Emmanuel, God with us when your human logic says it's impossible to be healed of this because a doctor said this trust in the promise of God that says by his stripes we are healed when our human logic says man resurrection, praying for a, a dead person to come back to life that doesn't make any sense, you're right it doesn't but don't we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and the promise of God says heal the sick raise the dead Right? Zachariah's story doesn't end there. Elizabeth, John's born, and Elizabeth says that his name's to be John, but that didn't make sense to the people that were there because they had no relatives by that name, which was custom. But this was Zachariah's moment, right? So this was his moment to act in faith, so he grabs a tablet, not a digital one, although they had vision for it apparently, right? Grabs a tablet and he scribbles, His name is John. And immediately the scripture says that he's able to speak again. And when he's able to speak again, he praises God. Now, here's what I take from that God is a God of many chances. You may have doubted in the past. Today is a new day. A new day for faith to begin taking God at His word. Trust in the promise. Trust in the promise. So let me recap it for you. Four stories within a larger story. Mary shows us that God does not look to your resume to determine your usability. Right? That living for Jesus won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Joseph shows us that fulfilling God's purpose is not about getting credit, but about being obedient. Elizabeth teaches us that celebration is the only appropriate response to God at work. Zachariah reminds us that God's promises are always more credible than human logic. Can I just say that you may have a story? You may have a story this Christmas But can you remember that Christmas is so much more than your story? It's the promise of a God who would come to earth the form of a baby and be raised and do do miraculous things and teach with miraculous wisdom all going to a cross to die for all of your sins. You know what Christmas tells us? You're a sinner and you needed a savior. You needed to be saved. You know what Christmas tells us? You're not alone because God came to be with us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 to 23, the angel said to Joseph she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. All of this took place, Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Joseph, let's add in a few more, the wise men, the shepherds, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. So would you stand? We're going to worship, and we're going to sing God with us.